0: Okay, welcome along to the Make It Count podcast. It's great to be here with you, Matt, and any listeners. Thank you for
1: lending us your ears. I've heard people say that. It sounds weird. Yeah, and maybe eyes if you're watching on YouTube. Oh, yeah. If we get around to loading these up, David. (laughs) Hint, hint.
0: Yes. So today we are talking about... Well, what are we talking about, Matt?
1: The body keeps the score.
0: Yes, and that is a a fairly popular, or at least well-read book. Um, Your Body Keeps the Score by, is it Bessel van der Kolk?
1: Yeah, van der Kolk. Van der Kolk. I don't know where Uh, he's from. I think he's from somewhere in Europe.
0: Yes, yeah. Uh, And he's done three decades of work with trauma patients effectively so that was war veterans but otherwise as well and his sort of ideas basically suggest that we keep trauma in our bodies we often in psychology or psychiatry counseling it's all mental it's how you're thinking it's all up here it's all cerebral and so we just fix how you're thinking about things and everything will be good and he's sort of going and saying that is probably not true And your body keeps a track of what has happened to you and you've experienced things and it almost has a memory of itself. So it's it's quite interesting as a concept that lots of people have wrestled with. It's maybe not classically Western sort of understanding of of the body.
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And the way that I I heard one person sort of put it was certainly when it comes to the trauma space, like normal memories are kind of formed a bit like a, a ribbon they said it's got a beginning a middle an end and it's got a nice rounded out but like traumatic memories are almost like shards of glass mm. uh, and they are fragmented and they are sharp and they can just appear at any time be triggered by a smell or a certain uh, you know sight or something or and it doesn't feel like it's something that happened in the past. It ha- it feels like it's happening presently, which is really interesting. It's something that I've never, I suppose, experienced and that, that sort of level of of trauma. But something about uh, the the body memory almost makes it feel current mm. uh, rather than something in the past.
0: Yeah, and I think that's to do with like PTSD and yeah. you know post traumatic stress disorder. One of the things is another podcaster i quite like he's also a psychologist he talks about it's michael gervais he talks about big t trauma and little t trauma and how some people have experienced that diagnosable big t trauma the post you know the the war veterans and um, actually even on i was looking at some reviews for the book i think this book by uh, your body keeps the score says one in five americans have been molested She's crazy. That's like big T trauma. So one in four grew up with a knowing an alcoholic that has its own trauma as well. So one in three couples experienced violence. You know, well, that's crazy. You know, that's that's big T trauma. But we've all experienced maybe little T trauma or maybe another word would be would be helpful there.
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely something that I have come across. And I quite like that as a distinction uh, because perhaps, <laughs> perhaps to those who have experienced real trauma, it, it might be uh, almost dishonouring to kind of treat other things as on the same level. Mm-hmm. But then to recognise, oh well, just because I haven't experienced that, and of course we don't want people to have to have experienced that, but that doesn't mean that I haven't suffered and suffered many small traumas. You know, maybe maybe they're grazes or whatever, but but uh, they still leave their mark. And uh, yeah, so that's something kind of, I suppose we're going to talk a little bit about today.
0: Yeah, because I think uh, the main idea, your body keeps a score, it kind of says the idea really in that sentence is that things happen to us, we experience things, but then that is kept in our bodies. And he even suggests, he quotes quite a lot of research that the traumatic experiences rewire your brain so that it changes how you experience pleasure and engagement and control and trust and these ideas. And so whilst that's true in the extreme of maybe the big T trauma that he's talking about, I suppose I wonder if it's true in the little T trauma, in fact, with everything. And that just – we kind of need to talk about that rediscovery of the mind-body connection that actually – there there was an idea that has become quite well talked about but maybe isn't true but that we're just sort of brains on a stick as it were
1: yeah yeah brains on a leg isn't it something like that yeah our body is basically just a machine to move our brain around but that's i think yeah my understanding is the more that the research is on the, the human body the more you just think that's totally crazy you know there's the, the stomach and all the intestines, you know, and just ingest- in, was it intestines? No, digestive yep. system yep. has so many connections. It's almost like a second brain, you know. And mm. so, yeah, how many of us have said, I feel like I'm being led by my brain, you know, uh, by my stomach? It's like, well, actually, you might be, you know, your, your stomach might be making some decisions for you, some pre decisions.
0: yeah Yeah. exactly and I think I don't know 100% where that idea came from I think I've heard people talk about it's this idea of the enlightenment where you know I think therefore I am that was Descartes wasn't it and and actually that sort of rationalizing like uh, everything is about logic and just because I'm thinking about it is true and it doesn't matter what happens
1: with our bodies
0: and And it
1: even goes back to um, Socrates and I suppose that's part of what Uh, you know, the Renaissance with art, but maybe the Enlightenment was also trying to recapture some of those um, ancient Greek and maybe Roman ideas. But Socrates was very much in that school of thought of, oh, the the reason people don't live well or don't live rightly is because they don't think rightly. So we just need to educate people so that they think rightly. But uh, it just seems like the more um, research is done with so many different aspects of life now, over, you know, longitudinal studies, that's not true. You know, for example, the whole five a day thing, um, eat you know, eat five fruit and veg a day. When that campaign started in, um, I think it was in the States, uh, but it might be the UK. Um, the uh, I was listening to this recently. They basically said when that campaign first started, only like 7% of the population was aware that that was a good target to aim for. But actually, like maybe nearly 15% of people were eating that. 20 years later or five years or 10 years later after that, 30% or more of the population knew that was what was good for them. But only 9% were or something or even less than that. And so it's like, oh, so good knowledge doesn't equate to um, right living. You would think as more people knew about it, more people would do it. But actually, what they found is it was much more... um, Impactful for the positioning of project products in shops and the nudge thing and the uh, it's the decision in the moment that matters. It's not the, oh well I know this you know out there at, at a time um, and so if if a decision if, if knowledge can help you make a one time decision at that point which will lead to further consequences that are good then yes knowledge is is an important under under underlying thing. But if it's a case of this is a decision that needs to make multiple times, actually, it's what's the environmental factors going on? And then maybe what's the internal environment that I've built up? And I think that then is kind of links to what we're talking about today, the internal what's the internal structure, what's going on in my body that then influences the way I live and the way that I perceive life and the decisions I make.
0: Yeah. And I've heard people talk about that campaign as simultaneously being the most successful or one of the biggest failures because yeah. it was a big public information campaign and it really everyone knows that information now you know the five a day but in terms of actual behavior change it failed like mm-hmm. people were not more likely to do it in fact like you said less people do it now than did 20 years ago even if they lacked the knowledge and there are other factors at play um, yeah, in that the world has changed quite a lot in the last 20 years but it is interesting like you said that we aren't just thinking beings many times just without looking at the big picture and the small thing we know what we should do mm. but we don't do it like <laughs> yeah. i know i shouldn't have gone and eaten another biscuit just now but i did uh <laughs> and and so whether it's food whether it's um even how we relate to other people oftentimes We know what we want to do. We know that ultimately the right thing to do many times, but we don't do it. And so knowledge doesn't always equal that. And and I suppose the other side of this as well is not just that knowledge doesn't equal that, but that it seems really obvious to say it, but we lost it somewhere. But experiences impact us mentally, emotionally, and physically, they impact in our mind and our body and wherever our emotions come from which is the mind and the body as well so
1: yeah go. absolutely and i think it was the that the term came up just body memory um in one of the the videos i watched and i think that was quite a powerful idea of just yeah that the, the me- we talk about muscle memory and in terms of sport um and i used to think oh well that's not really like a true thing it's really stored in the in the brain but like it it just feels like it's muscle memory but actually there are certain uh, movements certain reflexes that they never have to make their way up the spinal column into the mind and back literally it gets to the spinal column and goes back and that's you know that in a sense really is muscle memory and i think this is the same order of of being there are some experiences that are so powerful or maybe just have been repeated so many times that they seep into other areas of our, you know, our body, that then affect the way you know that we that we sit, that we breathe, that we we act. One um, one example they brought out was really interesting. They were saying you know there there are certain people that may have experienced you know like extremely aggressive or like violent um, adults in their in their childhood, uh, and so what they maybe have learned to do is is basically learned to be really passive and very still and very um almost calm and so from a mental point of view it might seem like they're being meek and and controlled but in their body it's like they they've almost restricted themselves from any fast movement and any any sudden things because they've uh tied those two things together with if i do things suddenly there's a high chance that something bad's going to happen and so actually they they were saying they might have a predisposition to dislike exercise and running because in their body that feels like something bad is going to happen to me if i start moving quickly so like oh, that's got nothing to do with laziness it's got nothing to do with not liking exercise it's got to do with that this um in their body feeling of if i move quickly bad things are going to happen so, oh, mm. that is so and that's not necessarily a a thought through that's not even something that you could like kind of memory and, and just and there's aspects of yes you want to talk through that and help that but then you have to go well, in order to get beyond that and break through that, I can't just talk about it and go, Yes, well, that's irrational and I, should, I shouldn't be afraid of running. You actually have to learn to, to unlearn that learned behavior. Mm. Um, and the van der Kolk in one of his clinics that they set up, it was this, I think they called it a sensory integration clinic, where they created this effectively this safe space, playground like thing open for kids and adults, where there was just lots of fun things to do, very childlike swings and soft cushions and everything. And the whole idea was that they would encourage people to have experiences that deeply and viscerally contradict the helplessness, the rage or the collapse that resulted from the trauma that they faced. Mm. I think it's like deep and visceral were the words that stood out there. Mm. You know, it's not just a okay I've mentally learned yeah that was the thing that happened and that's led to this I have to now bodily learn something that contradicts that lesson mm-hmm.
0: yeah because it, it felt the same when there's a violent adult there yeah. I respond like this and I'm, I'm rigid and yeah. actually but inside I'm I'm doing crazy sort of who knows what's going on and then yeah. oh I have go for a run well that feels the same Oh, don't do that then i'm in danger and and it's like well how do how do you try trans- transgress that because even having a conversation about that you probably wouldn't be able to unpack that yeah in the there's just it's a very strong emotive feeling of i don't want to run yeah why well i don't know it just it feels awful it's like, well, you know, the part of me is like, well, just because exercise sometimes is hard if you haven't done it for a while. But actually, that's not it at all. Like you said. um So it is very interesting. And for many of us, even though those numbers I sort of said earlier that were on the book, you know, one in five, one in four, one in three, they're still the minority. Like the majority of people probably still haven't experienced big T trauma. So is this still applicable? Well, I would suggest that those are the extremes. The big T traumas are the experiences of many people, but it's the extreme experience. But we all experience things that do impact us in our bodies, in our emotions, mentally. And this is obvious because people who work in a job that spend all day sitting, they can get really stressed. And where do you feel that? Well, you might feel that in your neck, in your shoulders, in your back. You know, you might get a a headache or a migraine, for example. And that's nothing to do with doing exercise and your, your back that is tense and tight. It's not a physical stress. It's a mental stress that impacts physically and so again it seems really obvious to say that there's a connection between what happens in our mind in our in mentals and what happens in our body but so often we don't treat the same and in the same way that like well so you know recently i moved house and it went really smoothly but it was still very stressful there's so many things that change there's so many things you're trying to coordinate and arrange to happen and A couple of days after we moved, even though it went really smoothly, even though I was feeling really good about the place we've bought and we've moved into, I was, I got a migraine, like a really bad migraine. And it was because I was so stressed and I was feeling it in my body and I, I just felt it coming along and then it was, you know, in my brain and I had to take like more, a double dose of what I would normally have for, for medicine to make it go away. It was like a really severe one. Wow. It wasn't like someone bumped me on the head. You know, <laughs> that, was a, that was a lived experience, mental, but affected me physically. Well, massaging my head isn't going to take my migraine away. It will help somewhat. But actually, if the trigger is mental, it, and so it's, it's that inverse relationship, I think, is really interesting.
1: Well, yeah, that's interesting. Inverse,
0: co-directional relationship, both directions.
1: Yeah. Co-directional, bi-directional. It, it, yeah, and it's that thing of the mind can impact the body, the body can impact the mind, and it all swishes, swiggles around and somewhere the soul gets involved as well, I think. Um, <laughs> I think for me, I, I, one story that comes to mind when we were talking about this is a couple of years old, it, going back to when we were um, working on the, the ship and um, Logos Hope, and I had been working uh, basically as a solo <laughs> solo man department Uh, Looking after the air conditioning, the refrigeration, the ventilation uh, aboard this this ship for nine months ish at this point. Actually, it'd been yeah. I we joined the ship about a year previous, but I'd been working about it for nine months um, on my own, and it had just been a draining period of my life. And uh, I had seriously considered at certain points going. I don't think I can continue. I think I need to pack it in and, and go home you know, uh, and that was, you know, less than halfway through a two-year commitment. Uh, and I'm very much, you you can vouch for this, David, I'm not someone who once is committed for something, I'm going to be like, just back out lightly. So mm-hmm. I was really struggling through that time. Uh, and it was more than just um, a bit of work stress. It was physically de- exhausting. You know, I was often working, you know, 10, 12-hour days to try and solve problems that were beyond my normal experience and I, I was trying this and that and things weren't working and and then there was a, a whole month long, actually more than that, so six weeks long dry dock period, which is where half the ship's crew disappear off and do other things. The rest stay high, stay bare and, and just look after this many, many projects. And during that time, because um you we working on the air conditioning, the air conditioning was shut off and it was in Mexico and it's thirty five degrees plus, you know, each day uh, outside temperature inside temperature even more uh and that was physically and uh, emotionally draining and there was stress within the department and challenges and clashes with with people and so all of that just built up and built up and built up um and there was there was a reprieve for a few months where basically some of the work situation was calmed down so you know those strains disappeared but what what really struck me was i i took at the end of um september like a five four or five day break away from the boat from everything in a cool uh, city in guatemala really enjoyed that um, and felt great wow i feel like i'm getting be back to me reconnected and everything um so i came back from that break and i thought great i'm reconnected i'm going to be fine and rested (laughs) But as soon as I got back into work, it was like my body had switched. Something had switched in my body and I couldn't do a full day's work. So I would maybe do the morning and come back to the cabin for lunch. and So I would just lie down for a half an hour and I'd grab lunch and, and carry on. And I would wake up and it would be dinner time or you know, most of the way through the afternoon or even later sometimes. Or counter that, I would sometimes go to sleep at night and then wake up and it would be halfway through the morning or nearly lunchtime when I woke up. And I, I was at that time confused but also kind of berating myself like man you know you got to work better than this you you know they're putting trust in you to do the work and you're just like sleeping all the time you're just like you can't do anything and it was only like months later that I realized I needed to maybe give myself a little bit more grace and go well hang on like you've been working overtime for the best part of a year your body is going to at some point call that debt up in a sense and I don't think I was able to. If I'd known this, if I'd known this book was, you know, and 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 the stuff here, probably would have been really helpful because I would have said, well, I, obviously, what I need to do is give myself that time to recover, just physically, but also like maybe delve into some of the what in what ways have I do we need to like reconnect with like, what's going on and what is the stuff that needs to be healed here. And it was only really after I'd left the environment that I was able to do some of that work later on. Um, but it was. Uh, i was i was thinking back on it and i was basically knocked out in this sort of period for about you know six to eight to nine weeks which kind of corresponds funnily enough to the six to nine months of the period in which i had been really overdrawn uh so i wonder if there's an aspect of that or it might just be a completely coincidental you know coincidental
0: Hmm. yeah and it it is like you said it requires us to pay attention. And I think so often, I mean, that was like quite an extreme situation, but so often we are distracted from paying attention to our bodies. And there's many things out there to distract us from paying attention. And I I was actually thinking even in preparation for this episode about probably most of my last several football injuries. I kind of knew I was going to get injured because my body was like you're tired you're worn out you're ill whatever and I was like well I'll play anyway and then I get injured and it's like oh my body was going you're not physically ready to perform and then you put yourself in a competitive uh situation uh, and I got injured and it's like oh like really if I was paying enough attention and gave that a I didn't put it down as, a, oh, you're just a bit mentally tired. But actually went, oh, my body is telling me right now that I'm not ready to perform. Like, get your pride out of the way right now. <laughs> don't oh, yeah. play, because you're going to get injured. Um, and, but, but every time, I don't give it enough weight. Like, even if I've like, noticed it, and maybe usually I notice it better in hindsight, because like I, I did actually know I was going to get injured. Like, I thought about it. I, I, I processed that, but I did anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I suppose as we wrap up this episode it's just that reminder that your body does matter your body is speaking to you and it's listening to you as well it's listening to how you treat it how you um, what you put into it but it's also speaking to you and telling you hey this is what's up this is where we're going this is um, and so we we're, we're not just a brain on legs but our mind and our body, there is a connection there. and People in exercise talk about that, you know, don't just exercise and watch a video, actually exercise and think about the working muscles, because apparently that has been shown to have greater activation of your muscles, if you think about the muscles that you're using. And it seems like, well, if I'm pushing the same weight, why does it matter what I'm thinking about? But it turns out it definitely matters what you're thinking about when you exercise. Um, And so this was a Your Body Keeps the Score was a book really on, on trauma, big T trauma, but there are lessons there for all of us about the connection between our mind and our body. So thank you for yeah. joining us.
1: I uh, hope you before found we, Before we finish, I just want to – there's a couple of things I'd, I think it's worth pointing out, a couple of ideas that they say they found really helpful, obviously, for trauma um, recovery. But I think just generally for us, because we're in a space where – so so many of us now we don't actually work with our bodies so many people work in a sedentary role and so like those who are doing stuff with their bodies more often are probably already more likely to be in touch with their body a little bit more in connection they said these these activities that they found worked really well helped people to regain connection with their body so it could be something as simple as singing or chanting especially with group you know or meditation and prayer obviously like mindfulness is a very popular thing right now sports and dancing you know so it's coordinated but it's working with other people um, and then like yoga and tai chi so things that you are as you said exactly that you're applying thought to what's going on in your body but there's control to it or maybe there's rhythm to it and then, you know mm. music um, and there's connection human element of connection as well in um, certainly with some of those more tender connections, maybe with some sports it's not so tender. Um, but I think that's just a helpful. Like, if you're coming to the end of this discussion and going, oh, that's great. But like, what, what are some handholds? Those are some handholds. Explore that, you know, um, the social, the body connection It's reconnecting with your body and also with other people
0: yeah brilliant uh, that's really good i think it's really great to have some some handholds of what to do and how this how we can work with this um, let us know as well at uh, home people that are listening what are your experiences of of this of your body keeping the score and um, we would love to hear that and, and hear what you're thinking about these things uh, but that's all for this week thank you for joining us in another episode of the make it count podcast